want to start your own podcast about sports or whatever? Great. Unsure how to get started? No problem. That's what Buzzsprout is for. Podcast uses Buzzsprout. It's quick and easy. And myself and thousands of other podcasters around the world use Buzzsprout. You'll get an awesome looking website. Plus your show will be out on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and all other platforms. You'll also get ways to promote the show, detailed analytics and stats, and a whole lot more. But that's not all. If you signed up with a paid plan for Buzzsprout, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card. And it would also help support this show. It's easy. Just follow the link in the show notes. Buzzsprout makes podcasting fun and easy. Start your own today. Do you want to win some cash? Do you love sports betting? Then Bet99 is the place for you. It is a Canadian online betting website and app that allows you to bet on football matches or matches of any other sport. It also has an online casino. Bet99 is the official betting sponsor for the Terminal City FC podcast and the Area 51 Sports Network. Go to the Area 51 website, click betting, and sign up for a welcome offer of a 100% match up to your initial deposit of $600, as well as boosted odds for the teams that you care about the most. Bet99.com is Canada's premier place for sports betting and online casino games. Must be 19 plus to play, and please play responsibly. Terminal City FC Podcast, talking Whitecaps, Canada, Europe, and all the big stories across the world of football. everyone, welcome to episode 71 of the Terminal City FC podcast, part of the Air FC One Sports Network, Vancouver's up-and-coming soccer slash football podcast. Josh Ray joined alongside Nathan Durick, and last night was pretty fun for the Vancouver Whitecaps, a 5-0 win in the first leg of the CONCACAF Champions League over Real CD Espana. But let's go back a little bit, and since it's been over a week since our last episode, let's talk about the game in San Jose. Yeah, you know what? The San Jose game had uh, shades of the home opener, didn't it? Oh, yeah. It totally did. They started off pretty well. Alessandro Schoff got his first goal as a Vancouver Whitecap after a nice interception and pass by Andres Kubis. But unlike in that home opener, San Jose, even in the first half, were really trying to get a goal for themselves. The Whitecaps weren't like fully dominating, but San Jose was really, not just in the first half, but in the second half, really getting headers uh, through and really beating out the wide areas. Yeah, I think we should mention that this was a game that was quite well and, you know, solidly dominated by San Jose. The number of shots were 20 for San Jose to 7 for Whitecaps. I mean, yeah. possession and passing, you name it, was all in San Jose's favor. The fact that the Whitecaps were able to get that first goal I mean, a fair play to, to shop for getting that extra toe in because he kind of had to go the extra mile to get that. Yeah, a good first touch, and it goes into the back 
of the net, but fortunately, just like in the home opener, San Jose scored two quick goals in the second half, and of course, one of them had to be a header off a set piece because they gave up so many headers in that game. Jeremy Obobese, of course, getting the tying goal, and then nine minutes later, Carlos Acapo, after some great counterattacking football from the Earthquakes. I think one, one of the things that we uh, that we noticed in this game, especially with balls, with, with players getting free headers within the box, was right now there is no partnership between Ranko Veselinovic and Matias Laborda. Laborda, I get it. Brand new player. He had a full preseason, so let's give credit to that. But this was his first game that we got to see him for a, for a, a full 90 minutes uh, at center back. And unfortunately, he did show some defensive frailty. Um, I'm kind of curious for a guy that, you know, is a center back, showed really, really good numbers uh, from his home country in South America, but guy wouldn't jump. Yeah. I mean, he's like 5'11 and a half. He's not yeah, I mean, he's foot. whatever shade, you know, below six feet. You know, he, he has a decent amount of heights, uh, you know, comparatively to the rest of the team. But there was time and time again, he would miss. And unfortunately, with him, with players getting in behind him, it leaves someone like Javane Brown, who was playing at right back that day, not only having to mark his guy, but one or two others. Right. And in that game, Vanny Sartini did make quicker substitutions like Sergio Cordova came on for Brian White and then there were some interesting ones I mean Schaff had to come off because he apparently hurt hurt his I believe ankle Russell Tiber came on much to the chagrin of many Whitecaps fans and there was it's no coincidence that the two goals came on after he came on Sebastian Berhalter came on who looked who looked fine but one thing that really irked me in that game was he did not sub off any of the fullbacks, especially Luis Martins, who looked gassed by the, by the middle of the second half. You know, we've mentioned Luis Martins now for all the wrong reasons for those last two MLS matches. When we see this formation, this Christmas tree formation, 4-3-2-1 that uh, Sartini wants to play, he's relying on in particular, the left back to get up high, the right back swings in and makes it a back three during the attacking phase. That can't, that doesn't work with Martins. Yes, Martins can cross. I get that, but he can't get back. He does not have the legs or the endurance at this stage in his career to get back and make it actually a back four during the defensive phase. So he ends up being a defensive piece that doesn't play defense for 70 odd minutes of the game. Right. And we know he can cross, you know he can pass, but again, he can't run back. His legs, may, I know he's like 30 now, maybe his legs don't work as well as they used to. And Fanny Sartini did say after the game that he needed fresh legs in the midfield, especially through the eights, and he thought Martins and Brown were doing an honest job, and the plan was to keep, you know, winning the ball high and attacking the space in behind. Like, you want more pressure, but that's not sustainable for 90 minutes, is it? I get why Sartini is trying to fit Martins there. Martins is left-footed, so he is never going to cross in. Because he knows that if he plays Gold as kind of that floating attacking midfielder that kind of sits on the left, because Gold doesn't doesn't necessarily track back if he's playing higher up. Like, almost, you know, as high as a 10, let's be, let's be honest. 
But it, with Martins only staying down that left flank and not cutting in, it allows Gold to, to be there. They don't have to worry about, uh, you know, knocking into each other on any sort of overlap. But as soon, you know, Martins can't get back. But then also as soon as uh, Schopf gets injured, that left side is so exposed. It's right. just so exposed. I know you're putting in Bearhalter to get in there, but Bearhalter is a different profile than Schopf. I mean, you look at Bearhalter. Bearhalter is more defensive. Schopf is, is box exactly, to box. Right? That's exactly it, right? Bearhalter is not a one-for-one -one exchange with Schopf. So, and then yeah, Manny was... took off in that game also Julian Gressel, which, I mean, I asked Banny about that, and he said they needed fresh legs. Christian Dahomey uh, came on, I believe, in place for him. And But I want to see more of Gressel and Sergio Cordova together because yeah. we all know Cordova has the height and he has the, the ability to poach to get himself into scoring positions for that headers. And we all know Gressel's one of the best crosses in MLS. So that game was deja vu from the first game. But let's talk about last night. Yeah, last night is a much more rosy picture. Yep, so CONCACAF Champions League game. First leg against the Honduran champions, Real España. And then for the first 10 minutes, it looked very shaky. The defending was all over the place. Real España were really coming in hard into the Whitecaps half and into the 18-yard box. But Yohei Takaoka was there to save the day. Yeah, you know what? Uh, his first save that he had uh, was a little bit shaky. It ended up, uh, unfortunately, heading right back to another Espana player for uh, for a rebound. And thankfully, it was uh, it was cleared before he got to the line. Uh, probably around like the six yard box by uh, one of the defenders. I believe it was Ranko. That, that yeah, it was. Um, but the the second save, which came a few minutes later, closer to the ten minute mark, was a very very solid save by Takioka. He He's he's finding his form as well, too. He's got two games under his belt. Before that, he only had one preseason game. You watch how he plays. I know Sartini wants him to get out. He wants him to challenge players. He wants he wants a you know more traditional sweeper keeper rather than a more defensive goal goal-minded keeper. And I think that's gonna be a bit of a learning curve for Takioka. That's not how he so That's not how he played in Japan. But it's more of a guy who stays on the line. But he seems to be a guy that is capable of it because they re they're relying on him to be so well uh, on his feet, right? If he can right. be a ball handling goalkeeper, he can come out, right? right? If he has the intelligence to know when that should be, he'll get there. But you know, two actual full games under his belt, he, you know what? He's he's showing improvement already. So I'm happy where where he is progressing. Yes, I expect there to be some shaky moments, but after that 10 minutes, and he was a big part of allowing the Whitecaps to ease into the game, become calm, to start to know who their opponent is. Because you got to remember, they've only ever played one Honduran team before in uh, Olympia, and that was years ago, right? This yep. is a completely different team. And after the first 10 minutes, the Whitecaps looked calmer defensively, and then they started moving the ball well and progressing it well. After the first 10 minutes, and it was rewarded. Tristan Blackman got his first goal at BC Place. After, you know, I don't like short corners, but... Neither do I, but this one wow, worked. that paid off. Pedro Vite gave it to Julian Gressel, who and Blackman was there for the header. And that was the first goal of the... Well, the only goal of the half, and the yeah. Whitecaps had plenty of more chances, like in this but game. But you know what's interesting about that goal? 
is up until that point, the Whitecaps had, at that point, three goals in their entire season. Every single one of those goals have been assisted by Julian Gressel. Yep. Call him the delivery man, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah, in the first half, it could have been more because Christian Dahomey in particular was just coming down the flanks. He was looking a lot faster, more engaged. But their goalie, Lopez, made some good saves. Some were just wide. Ryan Gold even tried some shots. And they were up one nothing. We thought, oh, they're up yeah, one nothing again. here we go again, right? Here we go again. But fortunately, the uh, second half was a different story. The second half really opened things up. And I think what, there, there's two ways to look at this. One, the Whitecaps kept up the pressure right as soon as the second 45 started. They did Oof. not sit back. They didn't take for granted their one goal lead. They pushed. And they were already, uh, they were getting, uh, I think their second goal came quite quickly. I think it was in the 60th minute. Just around there. Ryan yeah. Raposo, who we'll talk about a bit here, made his first start of the season as a left back. And he looked good last night. Not just off, offensively with his crosses and his pace, but he was really doing a good job of tracking back, making making tackles, forcing turnovers. He was very good. Man of the match well, easily. He did what we've wanted Martins to do and what Martins, unfortunately, can't do. He came back. He played defensive. He allowed that to be a back four during the defensive phase. But during attack, the guy, you know, his winger sensibility kicks in. And he gets up as far as he can. What that does, it also allows a more, a much more defensive-minded player in Laborda, who is playing right back, to stay back and make that back three. I know it's kind of funny. You look at a few people uh, that are out there, and they kind of have questions on, should Laborda have played center back? Should Blackman have been in right back? Because that's what he was in LAFC. What is the, the thing going on? But the thing is, is when we saw Laborda play center back in the previous game, height. It didn't work. First of all, th- there's no partnership between him and Veselinovich. I get it. It's one game. That'll come. But right now, they just need Laborda to play a smart, simple game. And he is able to do that as a much more defensive-minded fullback. Then you get your partnership that already exists in Veselinovich and Blacken. Play them together. It, you know what? It might not have been the sexiest look on that back line, but it was effective. Because you allowed a player who is still brand new to play simply, and you allowed a player who has been around for a while, like Raposo, to play to his strengths in being that left back that will get up. And he's the guy that can do it. He's the guy that, I, I mean, it's, it's not going to be that long before he is starting. Yeah, Vanny Sartini said Laborda as a right back is an option for the future. So, I know mean, it's one game. He looked good. I prefer him as a center back. I he, was surprised at the beginning of the game as well with that positioning. But when you see it actually in action, you understand why it was chosen that way. Yeah, he was um, making some good passes. His crosses aren't high, but they were low. And Cordova even got on for a few of them, but he couldn't get one to go into the net. And, I mean, it's not the after last night, it's not the worst idea in the world, having Laborda as a right back. Again, I prefer him as a center back, but he doesn't have the the jump, the height, to get to get headers, but... And I get it. We're looking at this from a sample size of one game one game, against, uh, one game hoping, against a Honduran team. 
I'm ho- well, and also as center back, one one game uh, against MLS uh, action as well as a center back. I'm hoping that he's just easing into it as well, right? You know, playing in the preseason versus playing in a regular season, two different beasts. I hope right. that he that he is that he gets tried at center back again because I would like to see what that flip looks like with Blackman on the outside. But we'll have to wait and see. We're not there yet. But the nice thing is, is that doesn't mean we can't use those players effectively. And we saw and that last night. We saw that. Like, I mean, keep the experiment at right back and go for a little bit longer. But once it, once it shows it's not working. And He's got options to change, right? Yeah. And that's the one yeah. thing that we couldn't say a couple years ago. That there wasn't a lot of depth outside of, say, like the, uh, the, the top 15 or top 18. You can't say that now. Right. And fair play to Laborda at the right back position, but the goals kept coming in the half because players like, not just Raposo, but Ryan Gold, Christian Dahomey, even Pedro Vite were really running around, Roman being all over the Real Espana defense. Dahomey could have got credited for a goal, but it went off the defender Garcia. Yeah. The third one, and Don Andrews got the fancy chant. Garcia's name, which is just pretty fun, really funny. Yeah, I was. We were kind of wondering, like, what do you do uh, for that? You know, instead of calling out someone's last name, right? Uh, yeah, it was pretty funny to hear that. Uh, I, I think one thing I want to talk about is also uh, Pedro Vite's goal, which came in the seventieth minute. Because for as much uh, stick as Brian White has been getting over his previous two games, using him as a link up guy, this is the goal that that shows how he can be effective. Because that goal was started by Brian White playing into Gold, who was able to quickly put it into an already striking Vite, right? But right. that was White playing with his back to playing with his back to Gold, but knowing where his attacking players are coming from and where those pieces are. That's what you kind of see what they want from him. Again, I don't know if White fits the physical profile that makes that the most effective. Against you know a smaller Hunter inside, sure, sure. Against but you know, when you're playing, uh, you know, between. Two six foot four center backs, not so much. Yeah, to have that like that link up guy, you know who does, and apparently looked not too bad in that position last night. Sergio Cordova, like yeah. we know, we want him as the number nine to be be the poacher and try to get goals. But in this game, he was doing a lot of build up and link up play, which yeah. is surprising. And one thing I was actually surprised with Cordova is uh, his defensive game and closing uh, players down. He being that guy that does sit a little bit higher up, him coming in and coming in from behind players to to steal balls was it was almost funny to see how many times he was able to do that throughout the game. Right. I mean, he's not a, a difficult guy to see on the pitch. He's six foot two. Yeah, he wears his shorts like differently from him. Miss him. Yeah, in his shorts, he wears them differently. Like yeah, he's higher up. up. <laughs> That's all right. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just a thing he likes to do with the tradition. But it's interesting to see him track back and just try to win balls and start the counter attack because we're they signed him to be that final man. But last night he actually looked decent doing that, and hopefully he gets to start in the next game. Well, what it is, is he is a guy who likes to be on the ball. And in doing that, he comes back so that he can have the ball high, uh, you know, earlier before the, the final third, where he's almost the guy bringing it in, in some cases, right? He also floats side to side. And it's nice because when he does that, Gold seems to naturally know to cut center. 
So there does seem to be some understanding already happening between some of those attacking players. There's a lot of fluidity uh, within those players. Even uh, Vite, you can add in within that as well. Vite yeah. is another guy I want to mention for his defensive game last night. He, in the defensive phases of the game, he was a guy, I mean, we think of like hockey and players that you want to come back checking. He reminded me of that. He was a guy that would track back almost right into his 18-yard uh, box, which is not what you expect from a blo- from a player that's going to sit so high up. Right. And good on Vite for doing that. He looked, again, made some good passes, showed uh, a lot of poise. And, of course, can't forget Brian White getting the fifth goal. Once he yeah, came how on, much he, was, did he, need that goal? he really needed that one, especially after the last two games. Yep. And got, gets the monkey off his bag, hopefully builds some confidence. Well-taken goal, too. Came streaking down to the box and just it just shot it. Like, sometimes you just need to shoot, right? Yeah, so you just got to put your foot behind it, right? Just get power. I mean, it doesn't have to look like you, you've, you know, picked, you know, the dime in the corner of the net or something like that. You know, yeah, just, just, you just need to get it past the goalkeeper. And it did. And he even had a chance earlier, tried diving header off a yep. Dahomey cross. I mean, imagine that one in. That would have been a hell of a goal to and break the duck, break the goose egg. Uh, the other thing we should mention is uh, a couple of debuts for some new players. Karifa Yao and JC Ngando uh, both came in uh, into this game. They both got a decent amount of time, uh, not quite 15 minutes, but enough where you, we were able to kind of see what they had to offer. And I got to say, Ngando is a guy that I was really impressed with. Yeah, he made he is, I didn't realize how short he was, but he is very agile on the ball. He is going to be a guy that it, once he has it, there's a little bit of magic within his feet. And he is able to, to get around opposing players on 1v1s when he has the ball. I don't know, really. I didn't get to see a lot of his off-the-ball work, but... He is, he is a guy that right now, when you're looking at how busy this part of the season is going to be with midweek games, he's a guy that you can rely on maybe to pick up one, maybe two starts. Right. Especially with all these competitions. Yeah. And this is a guy that the Whitecaps want to have around long term. Because remember, they traded quite a bit of they money. They traded to... high up for him to get him in the, in the Super Draft. I mean, you got to also remember, and this is something Sartini said also about Cordova as well, is that these guys are only on like week three or week four, where the rest of the team is on week nine, when you take a look in terms of conditioning. They're not there yet. And that's why Cordova only played 60 minutes. That was something that was decided before the game even started, because he's not yet ready to play a full 90. He doesn't have the conditioning yet. Right? I, I, I know I said earlier that I hope he starts, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan White starts in the next game, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. So, I mean, Ngando, he looked really... He looked good. I Made some good tackles, made some good runs with the ball, and <clears throat> made a couple good passes to hopefully he continues to progress, and not a bad debut for him. And then Karifa Yao, the center back that was taken in the re-entry draft, looked a bit shaky at the start, kind of got beat a little bit by a real Espanol player, but slowly started to settle in. Yeah. One thing I think we should rem- uh, remember, like, yes, it, it was, the game really, really opened up in the second half, but you have to remember that this Espanol team was a team that took, it took them 22 hours of travel to get to Vancouver. There was no charter flight. For some reason, their flight went through Dallas, then Orlando before coming to Vancouver. Which is they a actually weird had path. a player who collapsed at the end of the game, had to be taken to hospital. So, I mean, there was a lot 
working against this this uh, visiting team, right? First of all, I hope the player is doing well. Uh, obviously, his name has not been released. I mean, that's between him, his family, and his team. But uh, you also have to remember that now, it's something interesting that their technical director, who we spoke, spoke to after the game, said they got five goals in their home. That yeah. should mean we can get five goals in our home. The tie, it feels like the the Whitecaps are in a very good spot, but Honduras is a difficult place. Difficult, to play, difficult place. Right? It is place. a hostile place to play. It is going to be hot. It's going to be like 38 degrees next week, apparently. Yep. And Honduran fans are rabid. This, the pitch is going to be all wonky. And let's, we saw this already. Look look at Austin FC. Lost 3 nothing to a team from Haiti, which was being played in the Dominican Republic due to political unrest. Goes to show that these hostile, these environments down in Central America are very tough to play in. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it's exactly right. There, I have nothing to add to that. It's, um, I feel very confident, but do not take this game for granted. Let's put it no, that way. they really need to keep their foot on the gas. They're up five nothing, yes, which is the best possible result to go into that into the second leg. But remember, this is Concacaf. Anything can happen in Concacaf. Their environment is going to be a very difficult one. And they really need to keep their foot on the gas in the second leg. Next this is also Wednesday. a wounded animal, right? This is a team that is going to feel like they got embarrassed a little bit. They're going to yeah, they're going to they're going to do whatever it takes to get back into the tie. Yeah, let's put it that way. Uh, coming up next this weekend, we have FC Dallas. FC Dallas right now has uh, got their two game record of one win, one draw. Their win was pretty good, a three one win over LA Galaxy, uh, yep. a game that. They didn't necessarily dominate. It seems on paper it was a fairly even game, but it was a smart counterattacking play. Right. FC Dallas, last season, the Whitecaps did the double over them. They won yep. 2-1 at PC Place, which is a late one. And they also won on their ground 2-0. That was one of two road wins from the Whitecaps last season. But Dallas, as Nathan mentioned, one draw, uh, one loss, one win. First, they're home. First one was a one nothing loss to Minnesota United. Then last week they beat the LA Galaxy 3-1. And this one's going to be an early start, 2 p.m. this Saturday. And one player to watch out for is their striker, Jesus, the Jesus Ferreira, who is a believe, 22 years old, one of the up-and-coming players in MLS. He's yeah, he's just twenty two. Just turned twenty two last December. He Colombian born, but represents the American national team. Also got and, a brace in the last game. Yep, and had eighteen last season, and is no. poised to take his game to the next level. So that is one player the Whitecaps should watch out for. And SC Dallas has always been a solid side in MLS, and right now that is no different because they're expected to make the playoffs again this year. And they're going to really want to build off that 3-1 win over LA Galaxy. I believe this is their first road game of the season. The one thing also is you got to look at, this is a team that has really, really changed their lineup. The number of uh, players that have left, the number of players that have come in, we're talking uh, pretty much half the roster, right? 
so this is a very different team than what the Whitecaps saw last year. Last season. Uh, they've, they've spent some money uh, on a new goalkeeper. Uh, they've spent some money on a new right back. They're trying to shore up that defense. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what happens with them. Yeah, but they still still got a lot of offensive firepower. We talked mentioned Ferreira. There's Paul yep. Ariola. Can't forget Sebastian Leject in the midfield, who I believe was acquired in the off season. He was from New England. Yeah, from New England. He's a he's been around for a while. Thirty years yeah. old. Played for LA Galaxy, New England, and now FC Dallas. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You I know mean, what? despite changes, uh, FC Dallas are still a good team. They're a decent team. They're a, they're a team you expect uh, to be in a playoff hunt, especially when you're looking at nine out of fourteen making in the West now. I mean, we could say we could say every team's in the playoff hunt pretty much this year in the West. But uh, yeah, Dallas is going to be coming into Vancouver. It's going to be an afternoon game, which is going to be. Uh, Kind of interesting for both of these teams. You know, this is, it's an anomaly in this weird, uh, Apple schedule that we've got here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that as well. Yeah. And FC Dallas, I mean, I believe their coach a few days ago has said that Vancouver is a tough place to play in. And despite them being the better team last season, they ended up losing, you know, cause, I believe that was the game where their goalkeeper went off the line and then eventually gave away a penalty. Oh, uh, they did. But... Your memory's better than that online. <laughs> yeah, I believe that was the game. I have no idea still to this day what that goalkeeper was thinking. Just didn't let the ball roll out. Yeah. And I believe Galder Cavallini scored the winning penalty. So. Yeah. You know again. what? History is on the Whitecaps side here. They get to play at home again. But they had that midweek game, so that is going to force some rotation in the yeah. lineup. And FC We're Dallas, going to see a bit of a different lineup. FC Dallas will be more fresh because they haven't played since last Saturday. Exactly. And they really need to build off that five nothing win last night against Real España, because if they lose on Saturday, that'll put more pressure on Sartini. That performance will be like, people are going to be like, "Oh, what the hell happened?" Sure, there's fatigue, but they can't be an excuse. They really need to build off everything they learned from their Champions League match and translated into league play. You know what? It is one where it would be nice to start getting points on the board for MLS. It, it's an opportunity. They need to take it. Now going 0-3 would be not ideal, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Up next, we've got uh, a brand new tournament uh, that's being named uh, through CONCACAF on the women's side. Yeah, the CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup will be confirmed for 2024, and it's the first of its kind. Yeah, you know what? This is something that's been talked about a while, to have a comparable tournament. I mean, men's have had the Gold Cup for, for decades. I mean, Yeah, they had it for a long, long time. Um, but yeah, this will be the first of its kind for the women's game. It's going to be played with uh, 12 different nations. Eight from CONCACAF, four from Commonwealth. So it's going to be uh, both, uh, both of uh, North and South America that get... Uh, opportunities within this new tournament. Yeah, good for the women to finally get this kind of competition for them. Good for good to be. It's gonna be Concacaf and and the South American Federation. Yeah, a now, lot of there are some there are some teams that are already uh, confirmed for this. Uh, the Concacaf W Championship, which happened in two thousand and two last year, the United States 
will be in for winning that tournament. They're also going to be hosting it this time. And all four of the South American teams have already been decided. Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, and Paraguay. We still need to know who are going to be the rest. Uh, we're going to have whoever wins the Olympic playoffs yeah. uh, for the CONCACAF uh, qualifiers will get in. And then there's going to be uh, qualifications that will come up uh, November of this year and also in February of next year before the tournament happens in the summer. Right. And nice to have the, the women play in another tournament, especially one with stakes because the Gold Cup is – it's a pretty um, – it's a trophy with history, well, at least from the men's side, but it's nice to have it for the women – and well, the one also, thing I like about this is that this is not an invitational tournament, right? This isn't no, like you got to qualify. This isn't like the Allen Cup, right? Other ones that that have been competed in before. This is one you actually have to qualify for, and that's for me that automatically elevates the prestige of it. Yeah, and we should also mention that the NWSL will be their games will be broadcasted on TSN, I believe, starting yeah, next season, which is great. More exposure for the women's game. For people who still have cable, I mean, a lot of people still have cable, believe it or not, and more coverage, which is a great thing, and more can inspire the next generation, and could inspire more media, and it's good to have the game growing, especially for women in Canada, but now if only if they could get their equal pay, and that's another story. Yeah, uh, nothing has really kind of uh, come up on that front over the past week. Uh, you know, we had the turmoil of the week before. Uh, yeah, we're, th- that one's a waiting game. Uh, the one thing we will we can say is that the interim appointment of uh, Crooks as the the uh, the acting president of the Canada Soccer has not gone over well with the women's team. They actually put out a, a statement that basically said appointing Crooks. Is more of the same of Bontis. You know, this is someone yeah, who was Bontis as vice president for two years. So right now they're they're not looking at this situation with much hope. Right, and m- maybe they're looking for an outside. Well, I haven't heard anything. There hasn't been anything reported, but no, you have to wonder that. Are they looking for someone to bring in as president? I think I they think need to. I think they, they need, need to. to look from outside. I think they need to look beyond the realm of soccer they need to stay within sport right but and we, this needs to be a full-time position yeah as well. this needs to be actual full-time not the volunteer position that it is right now that's something that needs to change they, okay. they, they need something that where it's a position that has accountability that comes with it right so we'll see how that goes and let's move over to europe so there's a bit of a change in fortunes in this, and unfortunately, I'm on the short end of the stick on this one. Yeah, well, this is weird to say, but Chelsea won a game. Actually, they've actually won a Premier League game, and it was a one nothing win last weekend over Leeds United. They did pretty well. I mean, Leeds just sacked Jesse Marsh not too long ago and are in a relegation battle, but this, this is the same Chelsea team that lost to last place Southampton. So there wasn't much expectation going to the game, right? But unfortunately for the rival fans, that was the opposite because Chelsea actually won a game for the first time in a month and kept a clean sheet for the first time in God knows how long. And it was Wesley Fofana 
who unfortunately spent most of the year injured, the big defend defensive signing from last summer, gets the only goal off, off Ben Chilwell's corner, who were rightfully the best players in that game. They were really both de- not only defending well, especially Chilwell, but, and moving the ball up the pitch. Kai Havertz looked pretty engaged, and it was all around a decent performance for Chelsea over Leeds United. Sure, Leeds nearly got back into it late, but Chelsea and Kepa Ariza Balaga did well to hold them off. But things were even better two days ago in the Champions League against Dortmund. The Dortmund fans in this game really made themselves heard. They were much louder. They got the yellow smoke all over. Like, in the first like 10-15 minutes of the game, you could see these like clouds from the yellow smoke bombs just hanging over Stamford Bridge. But fortunately for the Dortmund fans, this was Chelsea's game. It was a very well performance. I wouldn't say total domination, but it was Chelsea were by far the better team. Like especially defensively. They're really closing down on the Dortmund players. Kuyabai Fafana and Kukurea make up the back three, which I'll talk about later with Graham Potter. Kukurea was the man of the match, and he's had a lot of shtick recently from Chelsea fans, but not only was he passing the ball forward for once, he made some good tackles, provided some interceptions, and Dortmund couldn't really get much going past the back three. Like, Drew Bellingham couldn't unlock the defense. Royce had a good chance early in the game, but it just missed. And Giorena was, who who did come on, he was under a lot of pressure. And then Chelsea had so many chances in that first half, and then Raheem Sterling finally got one to go in. Like, he whiffed on the first shot, but then he got the second shot past the goalie mayor. And Chelsea did not let up in the second half, thankfully. They There was a clear handball that was reviewed by VAR. Kai Havertz steps up and he hits the post. But they were given a redo because the Dortmund players have entered the box too quickly. <laughs> but apparently a few Chelsea players were in the box as well and some people complained. But someone on Twitter, I forgot who, said that the rule states that if players on both sides were in the box encroaching for a penalty kick, it's being redone no matter what. Yeah, I would think so. And Kai Havertz went the same way and made no mistake this time. And Chelsea's just continued to do well defensively. no, Especially without someone like Thiago Silva. Which was... Which is a big loss, of course. But the defense held their own. Reese James was, was Reese James. Making some good passes. Tracking back defensively. And... The midfield as well, got to give credit to Enzo Fernandez because he played like the player that they spent the money for. Just those progressive passes, trying to start a counterattack, making good runs, hope you name it. And Chelsea, for the third straight year, are into the quarterfinals, the only team from London still alive in the Champions League. 
Yeah, and, we'll get to that later. Well, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that <laughs> later. And just to me, the best performance, the best game under Graham Potter, because Chelsea played a full ninety minutes, did not look shaky one bit. Well, there were like a few seconds apparently, and hopefully, this is the start of something. This is the start of the turnaround. Like top four is pretty much dead, but. If Chelsea can go on a win streak, it takes the pressure off Grand Potter a lot more. Like the pressure's off him a little bit, but hopefully this is the start. And I want to talk about, you know, the back three, which I found interesting because when Grand Potter first took over in October, he had Chelsea playing in a back three. But he changed it before the game against Brighton. And he had them play a back four ever since. Well, he I believe he did switch back to the back three a few times, but before the game against Leeds, he switched back to the back three, back to the wing backs, and Chelsea are two and all. So that goes to show the back three works for Chelsea, and it's probably the best system they could use right now, especially with the amount of depth they have. Yeah, but it just makes you wonder, like, why did he change it in the first place? I know Potter is this, likes. Is this Potter just trying to put on its stem? Probably he likes to tinker a lot, but. The back three was working before. Why did he change? Why did he change it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And I hopefully he continues with the back three. Never thought I'd say this because I've never been a big fan of wing backs in the back three. But Chelsea look a lot better with the back three, especially with someone like Kukurea as a left center back, because I believe he played in that position when he was with Brighton under Graham Potter. So I hope it continues because they look more compact. They look more fluid in the build-up and the attack, so... Well, that rhymes. So, hopefully for the next game against Leicester, they stick with a back three. And I'm just hoping that this is the start of something. Not just a, a little honeymoon. Just the start of points. Like, the start of the process. Because that well, those last two games, those showed process. So... Off to the quarterfinals, Chelsea go. Leicester City, I believe at the King Power, is next. And hopefully, Chelsea get, continue to get some points. So for Tottenham, like again, he's like you said, a reverse of fortunes, which included a very, very lackluster game against AC Milan in the Champions League. Yeah, we'll start off with uh, Wolves on the weekend. And, well, Wolves have been a team that have given Spurs some difficulty over the past number of years. doesn't matter how poor Wolves are doing. They get frustrated by them. And this was more of the same. Now, they were coming off uh, a loss of being kicked out of the FA Cup by Sheffield United. So they're already feeling a little bit wounded. Couldn't even score a goal in that, this, in that game. And this game was more of the same. Wolves are a team that are not doing well i mean nope. let's be honest they're not they're sitting in 13th but they haven't had a striker score a goal in a year all of their goals have Which come from other, from other players like when you actually hear that stat it blows your mind i know raul jimenez has dealt with injuries right yeah that probably has to be a huge reason why but they got replacements i yeah. mean they're, they're not playing a strikerless formation right now, this is a game Tottenham did dominate. They had possession. They had way more shots. They they played okay through the middle. 
And again, I think that's a lot uh, with Oliver Skip coming in. Oliver Skip really showing himself to fit very well in this lineup and an adequate replacement for Benton Core, who yeah, unfortunately is out, it looks like, until October or November. Yikes. But, yeah, Good I player, Bestacore. Big loss. A horrible injury that he that he's picked up, unfortunately. But there was nothing going on in attack. Uh, it was it was toothless. I, I don't know how else to put it, but it was toothless, and it was it was tough to watch. Unfortunately, all it took was one quick moment from uh, Adama Traore, and that was game. That was it. They, they all they needed was uh, one goal. Uh, it came late in the game. Uh, I believe it was uh, in the 82nd minute, and there was just nothing Tottenham could do to fight to get back uh, until that point. Uh, there was also some lineup changes that came in. Obviously, you know, who you're going to play in an FA Cup match against lower opposition, you might not play against the Premier League side, but this is a game they they should be winning. And uh, it was uh, it was three points dropped, or at least, uh, at least a point dropped if they ended up going to a nil-nil draw. So now they're taking this coming in to uh, AC Milan, getting to play the, the, the second leg at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium after losing one uh, at the in Italy. But they came into this game without a plan. This was Antonio Conte's first game actually back in the dugouts since, uh, you know, convalescing from his uh, gallbladder surgery. He'd spent the last number of weeks in Italy after doctors basically had told him, hey, you, you came back too early. You need to go and rest. But we didn't feel any of that fire. It, this was a team that was playing as if they were as if they were the ones leading the tie and then wanted to sit back. And unfortunately, it, it was just, it was a frustrating, frustrating game to watch. Again, this was AC Milan getting to play and getting to dictate the terms of the match away to, ta- uh, to Tottenham. And they they didn't need a goal. They didn't really look like they were looking for a goal because they didn't have to. And it ended up playing to a, a nil-nil draw. Uh, this is now Spurs have gone three games without scoring a goal. Granted, did, did, our, did our team just switch? I don't know. I don't know. But granted, only one of those games was a Premier League game. So they're still doing okay in the Premier League. But it's weird that we have Tottenham right now with a manager who looks like he's got one foot out the door. His contract's up in the summer and no one knows what's going on with him. You have uh, out of every possible competition you possibly could have still had a chance at, but they're still in fourth in the table. Like normally for Tottenham, being in the top four should be a good, it should feel good. Tottenham doesn't feel good right now. And it's a very weird situation to be in. But yeah, they right now they are they're toothless and they're starting to be dissension in the ranks. Richarlson was uh talking after the game to uh Brazilian media and basically said, I should have played. That's a direct quote. He's, he said he should have started. He was playing well in the games against Chelsea and West Ham, and then suddenly he said, I found myself on the bench. Played five minutes for Wolves. I was told to take a fitness test before this game. And if I passed it, I was gonna start. I took it. Things went fine. I'm on the bench again. So to openly criticize your manager and basically team selection, there, there's, there's something else going on. And I think we're starting to see those cracks form and those cracks are now starting to come to us. Even, even Conte was questioning his job and he was, he basically kind of had this 
flippant remark after the game saying, maybe they decide to replace me uh, before my contract is over. I don't know. It's starting to remind me of the last couple of months of Paticeno, where he just seemed to have checked out. It right? feels that way for me, too. He we didn't don't get Conte. what he wanted in the transfer window, and he's left. The thing is, is Conte kind of did get what he wanted in the transfer window, right? So it's, right. again, I, I think they're, they've checked out for different reasons in my mind. And I, I said this from the beginning of the season, Conte looks like a guy who wants to go back to Italy. So whether it happens sooner or later, I don't know. But I guarantee you the short list of who is out to replace Conte has already been drawn up. Right. My question is, is have the interview started? And that I don't know yet. It's kind of, it's kind of strange to think that Tottenham is in a Champions League spot and we could be looking at this happening because normally for a team like Tottenham, this isn't when you would consider that. But it's been frustrating to watch the product on the pitch. And yeah, I, yeah. I think a shakeup is needed. And we should talk about Richarlison's comments saying about like lack of playing time after the match, something like that. You can't do that. I don't that- care. I don't care if you feel that. You can't make that public. Deal with it within your team. And then when you talk to the public, be a united front. The fact that this is that this is coming out, it's undisciplined. It doesn't matter if I agree with it or not. It should not come out to the public. And to me, this means that there's been something bubbling over for a lot longer if it's gotten to this point. You have to think there is something in that dressing room. And... But Antonio Conte pretty much checked out. I mean, the yeah. dressing room. I mean, like, it was so bad that fans at the end of the game were chanting Pochettino's name at the end of the match. I mean, he'd be an option, right? He'd be an option. I like him back. I loved the football under under like peak Mauricio Pochettino. 2019, right? But I don't know if he is the guy to bring back. Right? Right. I don't know if he is the guy to bring back right now. I I want a guy that I I want a disciplinarian and I want someone that is progressive. So I want I want someone like Potticeno, but I want someone that is not going to be their dad. Right? Or their big brother. I want a guy who's gonna come in and when someone like Rich Arlson does this, I want someone to crack the whip. Right? Right. I want someone who is going to say, this is my team. You follow me. Or, or you get lose. out. That's what I want. I don't know who that is right now. Uh, there's been talk about uh, Thomas Tuchel. I who don't fits know the profile, but I don't think he should go there. There's been talk about Enrique. That would be interesting. We'll so see. We'll, we'll, we'll see, see how it goes. It's just I don't weird. know who it's going to be, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it will happen. It's a weird place for Spurs, it's a though. We- it's a Managers weird situation. Managers checked out, yet now. they're still in fourth place. Yeah. For Tottenham, that's good. <laughs> I, yeah, that I mean, is good. Obviously, I want to win a league, but they're not there yet. Fourth place, being in the Champions League for next year, going into a transfer window and building something to build off of, this should be good. Yeah. The feeling is not good right now. Speaking of not good... Uh, Club Bruges have fired their head coach, Scott Parker, after just three months on the job after their 5-1 loss to Benfica in the Champions League. 12 Only matches, two wins. Just two wins. 
for Scott Parker. Two wins in 12 games for Scott Parker. Talk about another Tottenham guy, right? It's yeah, weird because Scott Parker did so well in the championship. He brought two different teams up within three years of each other. Right. But he, I don't know what it is. He, he, the top flight eludes him. Like, it didn't work out in the Premier League. It hasn't worked out in, in, uh, in, uh, Bruges. Maybe he should go back to yeah, the championship. Know, I, I Maybe guarantee you the championship will pick him up. Right. And gotta feel for Tejon Buchanan. I know. Another, another managerial change, two wins in 12. I mean, Buchanan's been rumored to go to the Serie A, and frankly, he should leave at the end of the season. Well, there was a talk with him, uh, even when he moved to Belgium, that uh, Belgium was just, you know, a, a step on the way to somewhere else. It, it does feel like that. And, but he, yeah, we got to feel for the guy because I, I think he's doing not too bad there from what I've been reading. But yeah, I think he's done well. I think with, under Parker, he started to get moved around a little bit and people, people weren't sure what position was his strong suit. And I don't think that's on Buchanan. I think that's just on what, where they're trying to put him in, but I don't know if it works out. Right. And I mean, Scott Parker. Yeah. Again, he needs to go back to the championship. I mean, two wins in 12 is abysmal. Yeah. That's like relegation form. Uh, let me see where Belgian or club Brugge are in the Belgian league. They're fourth. I mean, uh, 46 points, one point about Ghent, nine behind Antwerp, and Genk are leading the Belgian League, 67. Yeah, that's a good team. Yeah. I mean, Brugge are supposed to be, like, in the top two. They should be up there. I mean, but, it is very strange to see what's going on. Right. And what's this about German football to tightening the 50 plus one ownership rule? Yeah, so German football, when it comes to ownership, uh, they have what's called the 50 plus one rule. It basically it blocks investors from owning a majority of the voting rights in clubs. It means that supporters get more of a say in how their clubs are run. Now, there are a couple of clubs in the top flight who get an exemption. Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Bayer Leverkusen, they're exempt from this because they've had investors that have been a part of their club for more than two decades before this rule came in. They're kind of grandfathered in, but they're looking at tightening this rule for new teams that come into the league. When we're talking about teams that are in, uh, you know, Bundesliga two or, or, uh, earlier or later on in the regional ones, if they come in, it could change whether or not a team that gets promoted is allowed to actually go into the Bundesliga. It also changes rules and really, really tightens when it comes to how ownership will play out if teams are bought. We can all talk about what happened with Red Bull and Leipzig and how there's right. a weird situation on how that came into effect. So basically, it really wants clubs to be, to feel like they are fan organizations. Cause historically in Germany, football clubs were run as not for profit. That's right? right. They the were member based organizations. And what More. they want is they want that to really, really be solidified. Commercial investors will not be allowed more than 49%. That's the way it was, but they're really, really trying to, to tighten what that is with, when it comes to new teams. Mark, German clubs mainly community owned? Yeah, they were. Uh, the whole commercial enterprise thing, I mean, it's not a new phenomenon anymore. I mean, it's been around, but they're trying to 
basically stop anything new happening. They're saying, all right, if you're already in, you're in. No more. Interesting. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to the Champions League a little bit. And Harris St. Germain, once again, underwhelmed in the Champions League. Back to this back to back round of 16 exits. This time to Bayern Munich. I mean, first leg, I mean, once Mbappe came on, they made it a game, but the second leg, like, PSG couldn't even string five passes together most of the game. No. And where was Mbappe and Messi? They were, or they were somewhere there, I don't know. They were missing. And once Eric Maxim Choupo-Moulting, the former PSG player, scored, it was all Bayern from there. Well, the problem is, you look at PSG, and we've said this before, this is the New York Rangers in the 90s. They've bought individual players. They haven't bought a team. Right, but at least the New York Rangers in the 90s did win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, one. <laughs> one against uh, my Vancouver Canucks, but PSG... I mean, we're I, talking about some of the most expensive players okay. in history. And, and this... Look yeah. at this team they had on paper. I know Neymar, he's done for the season with his ankle injury. They have Lionel Messi, they have Kylian Mbappe, Sergio Ramos, Akraf Hakimi, Marquinhos, who apparently... Like, Marquinhos hasn't been the same since he's been lit up by Kareem Benzema last year. Well, yeah, I know. And, I mean, they're, they're, they need to start taking a look at their script in how they bring in players, where they're spending their money. Because this is a team that they're not shy for spending. When QSI took over uh, uh, PSG in 2012, they've now spent over £1 billion pounds in players. I right. get it. They've won eight out of ten championships. They've got twelve uh, domestic cups during that time. But this is a team that was specifically built for, for Champions League. Everything else is already considered a given. This is a team for the Champions League, and they cannot get there. I mean, with all this talent, they can't even get past the round of sixteen. No, yeah. I mean Bayern Munich are a gr- very good team, despite having. Striker issues, but Eric Chappell-Moltang did manage to haunt PSG. I mean, like, it's, it's one thing to have talent, but I just feel this team never, like, for years, never really gelled well together. This is one, and it was kind of interesting because there, there, there was talk about this, I think, on Match of the Day in England with, you know, Owen Hargreaves and a few others were talking about it. And they were trying to figure out, yeah, okay, what do you do? Because what has been done now for a decade just simply is not working. So what do you do? And one of the ones that I thought was really interesting is start looking local, right? Start looking at this. If you're going to be a club that's going to dominate, be be the dominant French force in European football, you have to be French first. Try looking for local right? talent in the academy. Right. They did find one. Well, not only um, in their academy, but the, all the other teams that are in in Liga, right? Liga, you I mean, are, they've done that. got immense power. You've got immense financial power behind you. You're telling me you can't build the best French team? I'm pretty sure they've done something like this before, but not to the extent that you're saying they should. You know, but they keep looking for outside talent and then try to get their coach to fit the fit, fit in all these, you know, big big names, right? Yeah, they and then need to stop looking at the name. They need to start they need to start scouting a team without looking at uh, you know, Electronic Arts or or Sega for uh, how to build their teams and and you know it, yeah it looks like they're trying to build a game based off video games yeah and you know their opponent Bayern Munich 
for years, the dominant force in Germany, one of the best teams in the world. They're not huge spenders. No, they're not. But they, they build teams. They, they build teams. They look in the Bundesliga. They look in their academy. And they make it work. They're, they're very, very LA, smart in what they do. They, they even looked at MLS. They signed some kid named Alfonso Davies from the White Cats. Yeah, that seems to be working out okay. Yeah. But for PSG, it's... The ever since the Qataris took over, like there's been talks of toxic work environments. It's why managers have left, why players have left. It's it feels like PSG is not not a football club in recent years. It feels like a brand. That's yeah. why they signed all these like like Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, and you see PSG collaborate with the Nike Jordans. I get, still like, don't understand. Like, I get Messi's name, but in terms of the player, I don't know. It, I don't know if he was the right fit for them, given who you already have on that team. He, well, let's face it. As good as he, he is, as great as he is, he has been underwhelming for PSG. Yeah, yeah. He's had and, some brilliant, brilliant games, but they're few and far between. But like, like yesterday, like you could barely even notice him. Like, Sure, you can notice him scouting the field because that's what he's good at. He's good at yeah. reading the game, but... With like he wasn't really doing much because uh, PSG couldn't even string a few passes to get to keep turning the ball over. While once they got Bayern got the first goal, it was all all in for the German team. And we should also talk about that uh, giveaway by Jan Sommer, and then Vitinha instead of blasting into the net tries to go for a low shot. Which is taken off the line by Matthias De Ligt. Like, stuff like that is why PSG keep screwing up in the Champions League. And Matthias De Ligt, that was a game that he had. Yeah, I mean, Opa Pocano too. As well. I mean, a good partnership. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where PSG go from here. Because they spent a crap ton of money, but can't get any get it done in the Champions League. Because, again, like I said, it feels like a brand rather than a sports team. I mean, sports teams are brands, but it doesn't feel like a team built I to win. I think you have to look, uh, and it, for me, it's it's not necessarily a question of manager. It's a question of their sporting director. I mean, their other guy, Leonardo, left yeah. at the end of the summer, but the Qatari influence is still there. Oh, it and is. It is. Well, but from you what need I've read a online, that, that is independent, right? Yeah, from what I've read online, Qataris are interesting people to work with. Well, it's the this Qatari sovereign investment fund. It's the same fund that's looking at buying potentially a thirty or thirty five percent stake in Tottenham right now. Um, they're, I mean, and that's what it is. Is they're looking at this as an investment. This is a monetary investment. So if they can bring in a guy that's going to be a commercial success, I I, I feel like they demand excellence on the pitch, but that's not actually what their focus is. It's about the brain. They're looking at returns on investment in terms of monetary value. I bring in this player. How many shirts do I sell? I mean, Neymar's transfer fee was funded by shirt sales. Yeah. And I get it. You can do that. Messi, I get it. You can do that. But are you making the best team on the pitch? I mean, it's one thing to have good players, but there's no chemistry. Yeah. I mean, there's been years like, of like rumors of locker room beef. Not just between the manager and the players, but within the players themselves. Yeah. And there's been rumors so, of Mbappe's ego inflating in the room. 
that's been going on now uh, almost since uh, he won his first World Cup. Yeah. And that's what, four years? Oh, yeah. Over now. So I don't know what it, where PSG go from here. Sure, they'll win league, but it's very disappointing with a team like that to go out that early. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. All right, one last thing here. We've got to talk about this. Like Liverpool's 7 nothing beatdown. It wasn't even a game. This was a massacre over Manchester United over the weekend. Yeah, I don't think anyone saw this mm. coming. This is, a some, no one this is saw something you'd see in FIFA. Well, not only that, but six of these goals were in the second half. Right, and Gakpo, Nunez, and Salah each scored braces. They're Gakpo and Nunez. Uh, have they finally figured it out? Maybe. And maybe maybe this is Liverpool's new front three since Mane's gone and Firmino's leaving. Who, by the way, did score the last goal Yeah. in the summer. Maybe Gakpo, Nunez, and Salah will be the new Liverpool front three. But it's kind of weird. You look at Manchester United and how well that they have been doing over the past number of weeks. This Monty, was man. this was a shock. Not only that, but we're talking about, I mean, what they call the oldest rivalry in sport, right? I mean, you expect a good game. You don't expect blowouts. That just doesn't happen. I mean, they're talking about players like Weghorst, Casemiro, Fernandez, and Rashford. Where the hell were they? Yeah. I mean, then their back line, like Martinez has probably been the best center back in the Premier League over the past, ever since he arrived. But that was his, easily his worst game. I think we also need to take a look at Liverpool as a whole because they were absolutely calamitous at the beginning of the season. But they're sitting in fifth right now, three points behind Tottenham with a game in hand and a better goal difference. They right. make up that game in hand, they're in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, and a moving like this. As disastrous as they came out of the gates, they've they figured it out, right? They, they're yeah. just finally doing something. And it's good to see some of the signings gel. They still need help in the midfield, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah, their midfield is going to need an overhaul this summer. And they know it. They do know it. But I think they have waited a little bit too late. Having all of these contracts expire right at the same time, someone should have been on the ball there. Right. And Gakpo and Nunez were going to need time anyways to, to get settled in. It looks like they're starting to... You know, settle in, and especially with Nunez and his high transfer fee. Yeah. I mean, the guy can't even speak English for crying out loud. So, it's good to see, if you're a Liverpool fan, good to see some kind of turnaround. Because they spent most of the year in the mid-table area where Chelsea are. And But for Manchester United, like, so much for all that, the good stuff that's been happening over the past few months. Because... This was just a shocking, shocking performance. Nothing yeah. good came out of that. No, but I mean, if you're a neutral, it was fun to watch. Or I guess yeah. if you're a Liverpool like fan. Every player just looked poor Yeah, for Manchester United. So we'll see where they go from there. From here. All right, so that concludes this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, follow me on Twitter at JoshRay91. Nathan is at Enduric. Podcast is at Terminal City FC. We... Um, check out the Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search up Terminal City FC. So Whitecaps back in action on Saturday. Second leg of the Champions League against Real España on Wednesday. So uh, we'll be both at BC Place for Saturday's game. And once again, reminder, 2 o'clock start, which is an anomaly in the weird 
Apple TV schedule. But hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace out. Take care.